Hey, this is Todd Herman, host of The Todd Herman Show. You might have heard me on Rush Limbaugh's show. I was a regular fill-in for about eight years. I now do a show out of the high mountains of free America because, you know, I got exiled from Seattle. Google Gemini correctly predicts the present day. Mind control matrix. The internet, television, even our phones wouldn't just be distractions, but tools used to manipulate the masses and suppress critical thinking. I said that correctly. Check out The Todd Herman Show every day on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And I'm the other Greg, filling in for Greg Columbus. My name is Greg Knapp. I'm a speaker, author, and talk show host. You can find more about me and get a free gift at GregoryBNapp.com. That's Gregory B as in boy, K-N-A-P-P. And I'm joined by Jim Garrity. He is the senior political correspondent of National Review. You can follow him on Twitter at Jim Garrity. This is the Three Martini Lunch. So we will start with the good. Jim, we've got these uh, election results from Turkey. So Erdogan wasn't running, but yet he still lost because this means 25 years of his party's rule in Istanbul is over. So you got this new mayor. What's the short and long-term consequences of him winning? Sure. Long-time listeners will remember that way back in the Mesozoic era, or more specifically 2005 to 2007, I was living in Ankara. Erdogan was in power then, and the attitude was, well, this wasn't a guy who we, you know, wouldn't have been our first choice, but this was a guy we could do business with. He seemed mildly Islamist, but uh, not too much of a danger. And year by year, the situation in Turkey has gotten worse. Uh, his Justice and Development Party, AK, by initials AKP, has a, a ever, you know, looked like an ever-strengthening control over the national legislature and lots of local positions, and it was becoming more and more a one-party state and really in danger of backsliding from anything resembling the democracy, the semi-functional democracy that Turkey had been for a long time. And this was the office that had kind of launched uh, Erdogan into his uh, career. Last month, the opposition party, from the more secular of them, uh, CHP, had, uh, had won, and Erdogan had made one of his most blatantly undemocratic and unconstitutional actions yet, where he said, ah, that election doesn't count. We've decided there's irregularities, so we're not going to count this one. We're going to do a revote in about a month or so. And that's, you know, basically telling the electorate, you picked the wrong choice. We're going to do this over again. And of course, this was an opportunity for the opposition forces to say, okay, no, you don't get to deal. If you give us a second time, we're going to beat your guy by even bigger margin. And they did. The margin was about 54% to 45%. It is a probably the biggest rebuke of the AK party since uh, Erdogan came to power. So now, does this mean that there's a giant sweeping change coming to Turkey? Probably not. But it is, you know, for the first time in a long time, there's a move in the right direction. Pluralism, you could say. CHP traditionally has been a uh, secularist party. I've tried to look into it. I don't know too much about this particular candidate. Ekrem Imamoglu, uh, his views on that sort of thing, is mostly focused on his uh, work in one neighborhood in Istanbul. But, uh, you know, for the first time in a long time, there's good news coming out of Turkey, and that's what makes it our good martini today. Yeah, and I love how you said they Erdogan's in there saying revote. Uh, you only won by thirteen thousand votes. They did, and they won by even more. But what about that in terms of is is Erdogan now just going to say, okay, I guess I lost, or is he going to try to do some things to make it hard for the new mayor to govern? Uh, what could he do to kind of try to trip him up and without like throwing him out of office? Could he make it hard on this guy? Very good question. He did tweet congratulations, which was seen as a uh, something of a concession by Erdogan. That having been said, he and his allies had made comments about alleged corruption in this candidate's past, which might disqualify him or something. 
Um, my guess is, is that, you know, as we've seen on, on a variety of fronts, Erdogan's going to push his luck. He's going to see what he can do. He, he's gotten this very clear message from the people that you can't simply uh, hand wave away an election result you don't want. Now the question is, how much will this mayor actually get done? Um, but the, this, this may very well have backfired uh, to, to Erdogan's, uh, on Erdogan a great deal because what is probably the most important local election in the country now turned into kind of a de facto national referendum. By canceling the election and taking the steps he did, he definitely elevated them. And it is not inconceivable to see that someday Ekrem in Mabulu, pardon me, the, the G is silent in Turkish, I know that much, th that he could very well, because he's now a national figure. Uh, he is now a figure who is debated from coast to coast in that country. And, uh, you know, that th this could possibly end up, you could see him running for president or prime minister well, or some sort uh, of national office down the road. All right. One more bit of good news, Andy. And that is the fantastic deals you can find at 4 slash martini, including their signature offer right now, a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. And of course, free shipping on all orders over $97. You want to be prepared. You don't want to get caught unprepared when your power goes out. It's going to happen eventually. It's just a question of whether you're in the dark for a few minutes, a few hours, or maybe even a few days or more. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X, worth its weight in gold. It's now got double the capacity, and it'll keep your big appliances running, including your fridge, which is full of food that just keeps getting more and more expensive. It's got 12 outlets, including four AC, plus two USB-C outlets that can charge your phone 20 times faster than normal. So visit 4patriots.com slash martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com slash martini. That's 4patriots.com slash martini. Jim, that's perfect because that goes into our next martini, right? So that first martini was good. We're going to chase it down with a couple of crazies. You just mentioned this new mayor, big, big success, won a huge election. Maybe one day he'll run for president. Well, we've got a guy who actually lost his last election, and he's jumping in and the Democratic side to be president. Now we're up to, what, 25 Democrats? We've got Joe Sestak jumping in, retired three-star Navy admiral, two-term congressman from Pennsylvania. What do you make of him jumping in? So uh, on the one hand, the, easy, the easiest assessment is, oh, God, here comes another one. Quick, turn out the lights. It's attracting them. Uh, we, we now have, <laughs> Iowa is now beset by a swarm of Democratic candidates. It's rather ridiculous to get to denounce your jumping in like days before the first Democratic presidential debate. That having been said, one of the great ironies here is that compared to, say, you know, the mayor of South Bend or self-help guru Marianne Williamson, you know, Sestak is actually fairly qualified for the presidency compared to a bunch of these guys. Elected to Congress in that Democratic wave of 2006, served in the military from 1974 to 2005, three-star admiral, commanded an aircraft carrier battle group that conducted combat operations in Afghanistan and Iraq, served on the National Security Council under President Clinton. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's got a fairly uh, solid resume. Now, the thing that might give Democrats some pause is that Sestak was one of those rising stars, and people thought that he was going to uh, be in, you know, a major player in Democratic Party politics in Pennsylvania for a long time, ran for the Senate in 2010, and lost to Pat Toomey. Uh, people also may remember this was the year that uh, Arlen Specter decided to switch parties. Specter had been a longtime Republican, but then he decided to switch parties based on principle. And that principle was that Arlen Specter wanted to stay senator. 
Republicans, right. And Pennsylvania Republicans didn't want to renominate him. So he decided to switch parties ahead of time. Didn't matter because Sestak beat at Specter in the primary. Toomey won the Senate primary. And that was kind of the end that most people had heard of Sestak on the political scene. I, I don't expect Sestak will go particularly far in the uh, Democratic presidential primary. But I do think it is worth noting that everyone expects me to cite show tunes in my uh, political analysis here. The old musical Gypsy had a song called You Gotta Have a Gimmick. Sestak has a gimmick in that his, uh, he's the military veteran in this field. Now, you know, Wes Clark can tell you how great that works in a crowded field. But nonetheless, you know, that's something he's got unique. Uh, Boudet Edge had kind of discussed his military service here and there. But there were not, there's not enormous amount of focus on national security and foreign policy issues. So maybe Sestak can steer the direction in that, uh, in that direction a bit. So, I, look, I, I'm usually very sneering and, and snarky about uh, Democratic candidates jumping in. I'm a little softer on Sestak than usual. Uh, but I do not expect him to go particularly far in this extraordinarily crowded primary. Yeah, and unfortunately, like you said, he announced so late he's not going to be in this initial debate when we probably really do need to talk about foreign policy right now, and he maybe could have pushed that a little bit. He's not going to be there. If you don't make the first one, your odds aren't great for meeting the second one, and they really raise the level of support you need to have in polls and number of donors required to qualify for debates three and four. So you kind of want to say to Sestak, what's your plan here? <laughs> right. Just, you know, most of these guys just believe, I will enter the race and the public will fall in love with me. And, you know, 99 times out of 100, it does not shake out that way. Hey, real quick question, Jim. W- with these debates, it just feels to me, as I'm talking to friends that don't follow politics closely, that there's so many people in these debates and it seems early. How many people do you think are watching these this week? I think the, so the, the good news is for the Democrats is by having a whole bunch of their big names in that second debate on Thursday night, I think people might tune into that one out of curiosity. I believe the highest rated debate for the Republicans last cycle around was that first one on Fox News. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was a great deal of curiosity. I think having Donald Trump, you know, I think it was just this curiosity of what's going what, what's what's to happen there? You know, what, what kind of fireworks are we going to see? Whatever, you know, um, I don't know if you'll get quite that. And, and people have been arguing about whether, uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren lucked out by having just her and Beto O'Rourke as the only two big names in that first night debate. Um, here's the thing. Whatever the debates are for this first round, the debates, I think the ratings will be lower for the second round and for the th- until basically January, until there's actual mm-hmm. consequences for it. So if you didn't qualify for this first one, I don't know if level of interest, you know, I, th- I think curiosity bring, gets people to tune in for, uh, at first. But when you're going to have this many candidates, and I don't expect there to be it's not like there's a huge difference amongst these candidates in, in policy. You're going to ask a question and you're going to get the same variations of the same answer over and over again. So I also expect the ratings probably will go down half hour by half hour Wednesday night and Thursday night. I think that makes sense to me. I think people are going to tune in and see who's going to rip each other apart. And they want to see what they're going to say about Biden because of everything that's happened mm-hmm. with him lately. But then you're right. I think it's going to, it's going to drop off. All right. Second crazy martini. If you have been alive over the last few years, you may have heard about the musical Hamilton. If you have teenage daughters (laughs) like I do, you have heard them sing every song over and over and over in your house. And that's got some people upset, fans of other founding fathers. And I didn't even know there were fan bases like this, Jim. But evidently, there are big time fans of other founding fathers who are jealous of all the attention Alexander Hamilton is getting. What is going on? Yeah, as I was gonna say, this is probably one of the most interesting human interest stories I've come across in a while. It's on the front page of today's Wall Street Journal near the bottom. 
Um, so they kind of go through all of these different little historical societies and groups. A guy who makes bobbleheads and how Alexander Hamilton is this runaway success bobblehead, whereas not so much for all the other uh, founding fathers that he made. The comparison I like in there, after the musical hit Broadway, sales of the Hamilton bobblehead skyrocket, <laughs> outselling all the other founders except George Washington. Hamilton in on Negan, the zombie apocalypse survivor on AMC's Walking Dead. That's when you know you've made it as a founding father, when your bobblehead is such a huge seller. Pretty smart, pretty smart. The fan bases of all these other founding fathers are quite jealous and angry about this. And so this has caused this huge controversy. The other detail I love in there is, first of all, there is a... um, Descendants and supporters of Aaron Burr, who many of you know, listeners probably know, killed Hamilton in the 1804 duel in Weehawken, New Jersey. There's the Aaron Burr Association, and they debated sending a letter of protest to Lin-Manuel Miranda. They couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't agree on whether to take a stand. Some might say they threw away their shot. Oh. Um, but anyway, so my favorite part is this, you know, with mem- some of the group's 80 or so members complained when the association took no action, and one, the group's webmaster quit in protest. A blow since no one else knows how to update the website, Mr. Johnson says. <laughs> I love it. This is institutional knowledge. You know, I used to work at a company where only three of us knew how to operate one part of the computer system. And the joke was we couldn't all take the elevator at the same time. Because if the elevator ever crashed down and we all died, no one would know how to update the website. By the way, that was Congressional Quarterly, this fine, distinguished organization. No one could update the House votes if all three of us died. At the same <laughs> I love it. Cautionary tales. But anyway, yeah. I just found it fascinating that there are these historical societies that have these kinds of rivalries. And as one person lamented, it's a shame we don't have dueling anymore because that's how they could have settled it. <laughs> well, the other thing I thought was very interesting when you said that the bobblehead uh, sale skyrocketed. Does that mean like from one to five? I mean, you know, when you talk about I mean, how many bobbleheads are selling. That is a good question. My guess is probably someone who wants a a John Hancock one. Sure. Adams, you figure a lot of beer drinkers might want that one. Thomas Paine, a little bit obscure, but I figure some folks might want that. There was another guy who um, uh, is quoted (laughs) in the story who's a Benjamin Franklin impersonator. Now, when I was at the Democratic Convention in 2016 in Philadelphia, I've done my reporting. I go to have either like a late lunch at a bar. I'm sitting down, and right next to me sits Ben Franklin. Okay, not the Ben Franklin, but a guy who was dressed up and had a striking resemblance to uh, you know one of the founding father. So I chatted a bit with him, and he said he'd done some commercials. He says he very often was brought out for President's Day sales at car dealerships. Right. Hey, let's have Ben Franklin walk around. He'll convince people to buy a new Buick or something. There you go. But anyway, so he's very you know, he's frustrated because he looks like Ben Franklin, and Hamilton is the uh, is the hot is the hot founding father these days? All right, I got two two more things on this that I think are kind of interesting. I think it's as you read through this article in the Wall Street Journal, they point out a lot of the historical inaccuracies that are in the musical Hamilton, and that's what ticks off a lot of these people too. And you, it seems kind of strange that we're allowing a musical to be the authority on our founding fathers' history, but I, I think what it really shows is the power of the entertainment industry in our culture. And yeah. it really does have a bigger lesson because, and I'm not saying about this particular show, but liberals do dominate that and people watch it and they believe it. And you get a very slanted view of all kinds of stuff. The old saying, you know, when truth conflicts with legend, print the legend. Uh, yeah. Deep Throat never said, follow the money. That was in the movie. It was not in the book, All the President's Men. Um, you know, the, the, I think it was, uh, it might've been, it was Ben Bradley who, when he found out that Jason Robards would be playing him, 
you know, Robard's got a tour of the Washington Post uh, newsroom as they're preparing to make the movie. And apparently at some point, Bren Bradley like corners Jason Robards. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't quite, you know, throw him against the wall, but he kind of takes this very threatening tone. And he says, look, look, pal, you know, people, are gonna, you know, for the rest of your life, people are going to think, however you play me is how people are going to think of me for the rest of my life. So you better make me look good. That's <laughs> true. It was kind of correct that, you know, that, uh, so yeah. So, I mean, the, look, the good news is uh, the, if you go to the, the your local bookstore, Hamilton books are, are you know, not just the, uh, uh, Ron Chernow book that inspired the musical, but all kinds of stuff. Everybody's cashing in. So I think in general, pop culture entertainment depictions of history are generally good for us. But yes, the uh, artistic license taken by the likes of uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda can create uh, misperceptions. Of that. I, I, would, I would argue, I think Hamilton is actually pretty sympathetic to the portrayal of Aaron Burr, but, or it makes him a very human, a, a very relatable human being, I would argue. I love the music. So, I, and and uh, that's the other part I was going to get to because the very end of this Wall Street Journal article, they say that the boosters of the non Hamilton farmers, uh, founders, excuse me, are, are really pinning their hopes on the 2021 revival of 1776. It stars Franklin Jefferson and Adams. There is no Hamilton. And I would say this, Jim, I've seen that. That music is old. That is not going to resonate with the next generation. It's not going to do what they think it's going to do. The reason Hamilton did so well is it's hip hop, it's rap, it's it, it's next generation. It gets a wide excited. variety of musical you know? stuff. Yeah. Seventeen seventy six is a perfectly good musical. Um, I think it came around the it came out around the bicentennial. Am I correct? If I recall correctly. Probably. I'm just saying for for you know I got daughters who love musicals. Mm -hmm. I said, hey girls, listen to this. They go, oh, that's boring. I'm just saying, for a younger generation, that's boring to them. Yeah, we could. We have a whole bunch of other historical figures, Broadway. Yes, we do. <laughs> you know, yes, we, we do. We could do musical. <laughs> you could have hip-hop Abraham Lincoln. You could do Westward Expansion. You could do... Yeah. Hey, they made a zombie movie with Abraham Lincoln. I don't know how accurate it was, but uh, hey, you never know. I, my all understanding right. is they took some liberties. with uh, maybe, maybe a couple. Uh, all right. But he was swinging an axe, and so that's close. All right, that's all we've got for the good, the crazy, and the really crazy on this three martini lunch. My name is Greg Knapp. I'm filling in for Greg Columbus, uh, gregorbnapp.com for free gift. Jim Garrity, as a senior political correspondent at National Review, follow him at Jim Garrity. Appreciate it, Jim. We will do it again soon. Always enjoy it, uh, Greg Knapp. I'm going to stop calling you other Greg. And uh, uh, thanks for being in today. Absolutely. See you tomorrow. Cartels are exploiting Indian reservations to get into America, and our federal government can't be bothered to stop it. Hey, y'all, it's Sarah Carter from The Sarah Carter Show. I just got back from two trips to our southern border, and I want to take you inside a huge hotspot where thousands of migrants are coming into America every day. I was with a member of the National Border Patrol Council when the Border Patrol nabbed multiple illegal migrants who are breaking U.S. law, and I have the exclusive audio. For all this and more, subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show on your favorite podcast app.